All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 34th year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 52 points or two tenths of 1%. The SP 500 last week was down about 66 points. Uh, pardon me, was up about 66 points or 1.6%. And the NASDAQ last week was up 385 points or 3.3%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 2.3%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 7.7%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 14.7%. So I missed last week's show because I was barbecuing. All right? And then the well, week that's before, a good excuse. That's a good yeah, excuse to miss uh, the Money Wise the show. We clients there. It was a Antonio Rodeo barbecue cook-off. We didn't really place but we had a lot of fun but the week before we were talking about the run the toward run the nasdaq was on so at this pace nasdaq's going to be up over 100 percent for the year what do y'all think about that well it's even well, yeah, it's so even we talk, worse we than, we, yeah we talked about that last week for the month just for the month of january the nasdaq was up 10.68 percent we've added another 3.3 percent uh on wednesday thursday and friday so it, it's to say that it's unsustainable is is an understatement. Total, you know, it's totally unsustainable. Now the question is, are we? Is it going to run up to twenty percent in the first two months of the year and do and and do nothing or you know trend? I, I think it's going to trend down, you know, for the remainder of the you know, for a period of time. I just, I just, I just don't think that we're going to be up fourteen percent in the Nasdaq this year. I just I don't I just don't feel that way, you know. I, the Fed the Fed had uh, here we we're not even two minutes in and I'm already saying the <laughs> f word. It's not my fault, <laughs> right? I'm right. sure it makes I'm sure it's going to make Dad happy. I'm, I'm sure it's going to make Dad extremely happy, but uh, he'll come maybe he'll come on next week and say, "God, Jeff, you didn't even make it three minutes without saying the f word." When I'm and, and it's you know the Fed, they raised rates a quarter point. But they didn't say anything 
more um, hawkish, but I didn't really hear much about uh, anything that dovish. I actually have here a summary of some of the things that were said during the meeting. You tell me if you think it's hawkish or dovish. Um, the FOMC will make decisions on a meeting-by-meeting basis. When have they not said that? Data-dependent. Well, actually, I think it's labor-dependent now. But see, okay. It's labor-dependent. Okay, so let me ask you this, because I, I had this – I can't remember if I had this conversation with Joe or another buddy of mine. Some, it was you. Explain this to me. The Fed has two main mandates, price stability and, you know, and, and full employment. Full employment. So – they're wanting to sacrifice one of their mandates for the other. They they want to see the unemployment rate go higher. They want to see less jobs being created. They want to do some destruction to the job market in order to take care of one mandate. So they're sacrificing one mate one mandate for the other. Explain that to me. Kyle, it, it, it doesn't make sense. It's pretty simple. Don't fight the Fed and don't figure the Fed. Those are the two yeah, things. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Don't try to figure out We're the Fed. We're throwing the Fs actually. out there. Don't fight the Fed and don't figure the Fed because you don't, can't. Don't tr- yeah, don't try to figure them out because they have the, those two main mandates. They're sacrificing one mandate or want to sacrifice one mandate for the other for price stability. So, so the, the Chairman Powell did say a couple a couple more rate hikes to get to a properly restrictive stance. Now, the market interpreted that as 25 basis points this week and another 25, I believe, the next meeting's on March 22nd. Uh, as I said, they're going to make a decision on a meeting-by-meeting basis. When when do they not? Uh, the, the full effects of the rapid tightening cycle is yet to be fully felt. I will agree with that, though in some industries it has been felt, most notably housing. Uh, taking a pause between meetings has not been was not discussed amongst the members of the market has been speculating that they were going to take a pause before they do their next rate hike. Um, and the the chairman threw cold water. If the economy performs as expected, don't expect a, expect a rate cut in 2023. And I know this has been one of the main points that the bulls have, have their um, one of the assumptions they're following to justify being up 14.7% on the NASDAQ in uh, a month and a handful of days because they feel like, well, the Fed's going to be cutting rates at the end of the year. Well, 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 on last weekend show, when we were talking a little bit about the technicals, I was, I was, we were discussing that the line of resistance for the S and P 500 as of Two weeks ago's market close was 4,100. Well, the market was able, the S&P 500 was able to break above the resistance on the Fed meeting, which was Wednesday, February the 1st. So they were able, the the S&P 500 was able to finally break above 4,100, that top line resistance, and close above 4,100. And even on Friday, even though it was a down day for the S&P, we still went out this past week with the with the S and P five hundred closing above forty one hundred, so it was the Fed comments, or I should say, lack of additional hawkishness from the Fed statement that finally allowed the S and P five hundred to break above the forty one hundred of resistance. But something else that I noticed, and I've talked about this on past shows, looking at volume, 
we saw on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, three days in a row where we had buying volume above the daily moving average. Now, I can go all the way back into 2021. I could not find a three-day period in a row going back to the middle of 2021 where we had three days of buying above average vol- on above-average volume days. So take that for what it's worth. But to me, it appears that some new long buying has come in this past week. Well, let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to our MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street from last week, uh, we were talking about the Fed meeting on Wednesday. Federal Reserve raised um, the Fed funds rate by a quarter of 1% or 25 basis points. And basically the statement, you know, I was kind of anticipating with kind of the way that the market is run in the month of January, I thought that they were going to be coming out with a little bit more hawkish verbiage in their statement. And and really, obviously, the market anticipate, uh, interpreted it pretty benign from the from the post decision news conference and as i was saying before we went to break the s&p 500 was finally able to break above its 4100 uh, resistance level and actually close above it and even after friday's selling was still able to maintain above that 4100 level and seeing some new buying volume coming in above average for tuesday wednesday and thursday and so Jeff- Jeff had a counterpoint to that too, by the way we're talking about. Well, I, I don't know if it's a it's it's a counterpoint, not necessarily to those particular statistics. I'm just looking at a chart. The 50 and the 200 day line of the S and P 500 are basically on top of each other right now. Uh, the mar- and the S and P closed on Friday approximately five percent above its 50 day and 200 day moving average. Uh, we haven't had been this far above the 200-day moving average. Uh, you have to go back to maybe last March, where we briefly were above was above the 200-day line, only to have you know the next four or five months see the markets the S&P shave a thousand points, uh, go to four from 4,600 to 3,600. But the 50-day was also in a downtrend when it was okay. crossing above. We're getting ready to have a golden cross. Sorry. We, we, okay. Cross. So we're trading right now at levels not seen since August of last year. Now, how many interest rate increases did we have after August? At least a couple, two or Several. three. Yes. Two or three. Um, I, I just – is the outlook for earnings 
or you know, valuations of stocks better or worse than the fact that we've had you know, four, if you take it in totality, four or five interest rate increases, but stocks are trading exactly the same way they were four or five interest rates before, you know, ago, and we've moved, what, 200 basis points in interest rates, and the, and the S&P 500 is trading the same way it was when we had Fed funds rates at, you know, 2%, 2.5%, and now we're four and three quarters. And what's the forward PE we've been seeing thrown out? You know, the forward PE had to have gone up this week. I heard it was 18, 18, 18 going into this week, and now – you know, with the S&P up another 1.6% in the week just passed, what is it now? Is it closing in on 19? It's got to be close to 19. I would... Well, you know, I, I, can, I, I, I can tell you, I can tell you it was, it was updated on Friday at 22.11. Yeah, that's the, but that's a different, that's, that is as reported backwards looking earnings i'm talking about for the forward outlook which is what you hear most of the pundits on wall street quoting is that is the forward meaning meaning their estimates they haven't actually been reported the one that you gave Kyle was the as reported trailing uh, 12 months tra- trailing 12 months. 12 months so a 21 pe trailing uh and now fed funds are four and three quarters i i just yeah, this this just again. I'm I'm not a believer in this rally. Yeah, it's continued. Yeah, I've been wrong, not being a believer. But that doesn't mean you know a, a two weeks from now, a month from now, that uh, we don't give half this back or two thirds of this back. I, I just I, I can't really I can't justify this kind of move on the kind of news that we've gotten, which 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 is what the Fed's going to keep rates higher for longer. That hasn't changed. Okay, all right. They cut it from a 50 basis point to a one-quarter percent rate increase, but they say they're going to do two more. We know that uh, Fed policy operates with lags, and you know they're, they're very they have, they're they're variable and they off and they and they and they and they tend to be a lag. So we haven't well, seen and, the full and, effect. and the effects. Yeah, and the effects are lagging. The effects are lagging. And, and but I think also Jeff, what the market is telling is really a telling sign is that we feel that the Fed put is back, that somewhere the Fed put will mm. be in place. They will backstop the market if we have a very sharp downturn in economic activity. As these lagging effects of all the Fed rate increases are really starting to take a hold of the economy that the fed will come in they'll uh, most likely i would re- i would predict that they would stop quantitative tightening first and then here they come with potential they won't stop cuts. it at the most all they would do I, is slow it at the most they wouldn't stop it you'd have to have a major event to for them just to stop it and i don't know is there is there another covid variant that we don't know about Coming down the line, I haven't, you know, I don't, I don't think so. We'll have to ask the Biden administration what they got <laughs> cooking up over in China. Here we, here we go. You know, the, the elections are coming up in twenty four. So. Real, real quickly, though, one of the things that this week we're that we were listening in the, is Kyle used to call it the financial entertainment press, and they're talking I about still call it the financial prognosticating a recession. 
I think the consensus is that it's going to be a shallow recession if we have any at all. And a couple of the pundits this morning were talking about, with these job numbers, how are we going to have a recession? And maybe the market's saying, you know what, maybe recession's off the table. Let's be a little more optimistic. And and that could be part of this. It's just it's 500,000. We haven't even talked about the jobs. Right. Over 500,000 jobs, which is more than double what the experts, the experts were predicting. Well, and, 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 and this is what I've been saying for months and months now. And when I have conversations with clients, why I personally don't foresee a deep, dark recession doesn't mean we couldn't have a, a shallow one. And as we talked on last weekend's show, a 0.1 negative GDP growth, that is negative GDP growth. That's extremely shallow, but you have two quarters like that, that would be considered a recession. So I still think we could have a very mild recession, but I think, like you said, Joe, it's the employment picture. It's also the still the amount of cash that is on the sidelines, albeit it's starting to, to get spent and it's starting to come down. There's still trillions of dollars of excess savings. Um, uh and, and yeah, if too much supply. No, and Jeff, Jeff is going to pull out the statistic talking about go. the negative year over year, and then I'm going to smash him in the face <laughs> with where with where the M2 was pre-COVID, uh, and show how many more trillions of dollars have been saved post the COVID pandemic, even though the year over year number is negative, meaning that it's being spent down. But for, with for but, 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 but Joe. Go ahead. But, but Joe, like you were saying, the employment picture, I totally agree. I think that this employment report, and that came out on Friday, that 517,000 jobs were created. The estimate was for 187,000. So this, I, I can't remember a jobs number that blew it more out of the water than this, than, than this past Friday's job number at 517,000 new jobs created. And where are the majority of the jobs going? They're going into the leisure and hospitality area. 128,000 new jobs were created. Something else out of the jobs report is the participation rate went up, meaning, again, more people are getting their rear ends off the couch and getting back to work because the participation rate was at 62.4%, where it's been hanging around the high 60s and low 61% rate. And we had the unemployment rate come down to 3.4%, which is the lowest it's been since 1953. So, so what, I you're agree saying, you. what you're saying is a day of me going to Subway across the street and having to, one poor person Wait, yeah. working there, waiting on 20 people, hopefully those days are gone. So, it's getting better. It's getting please. better. It's it's going to continue to take time, but more people getting back into the workforce. Also, I've been reading a lot of articles this past week where we're starting to finally see this shift from the power being with the employee kind of dictating how they're going to work, when they're going to work, and where they're going to work, now to the employer saying, this is where you're going to work. This is what you're going to get paid, and if you don't like it, you can walk. So we're starting to see this paradigm shift in the, I guess, I don't want to say the power struggle, but I guess for <laughs> lack of a better terms, it's a power struggle between the employer and employee, wouldn't you say? So now that now that we're starting to finally read more and see more of this shift and this more participation and more people getting back to work, and on top of all of this, before we go to the commercial break, we also saw wage inflation right at three-tenths of 1%, and it's been holding that line 
month after month after month. So we did not see any additional wage inflation than what we haven't already seen in past months. So that's a a good sign for further inflation. So let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So we're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program. Before we went to commercial break, we were just talking about the employment numbers that came out on Friday. Uh, 517,000 jobs created, unemployment rate at 3.4%, lowest it's been since 1953. And, Jeff, can you remember an employment report that has just absolutely blown the numbers out? Because it was anticipated or expected 187,000 jobs would be created, but 517,000. And I even read that in a private household survey, according to their calculations, the job creation was closer to 849,000 jobs. My question would be, with that number come out in December of last year, how much would the markets have been how much more would the markets have been down on a Friday? Versus, well, well, yeah, well, we had on you know Friday after this number was announced, I was a little surprised it wasn't down more than that, given that that we've had this this uh, good news is bad is bad news uh, mentality in the markets. I guess it had to do with the the wages portion. Of, uh, of of the three tenths uh, just held the line. The it just it just it wasn't uh, high enough to get the Fed to or, or to get people thinking the Fed's going to have to do more in March. You know, next week we don't have any economic news whatsoever, uh, but we do have the Federal Reserve Chairman giving an economic speech on Tuesday, and another Fed Governor Waller is going to be speaking. On the you know, the following day, so there might be some interesting market moving, potential market moving things said there, but I doubt it. But we don't have any economic news next week, and I don't think we have much in terms of uh, uh, the you know the big heavy hitters earnings news. We had we, know, we Google, had the tomahawk Google, steak. Google and <laughs> Apple, <laughs> yeah, Google, you know Google and Apple's uh, numbers were nothing to write home about, and their stocks weren't down that much. Uh, on uh, Friday, uh, which 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 let me add to that, which Apple leads was me up. to believe, uh, yeah, yeah, Apple Apple was up, but Apple it, was that up. leads me that leads me to believe that a lot of negativity and them missing earnings, top and bottom line, and having kind of some negative forward guidance was fairly priced into the stock. Because here's the thing about Apple. You know, Apple had to cut 8 to 10 million iPhone sales because of supply chain issues with China and their COVID lockdown. Here's something else, particularly for multinationals, and I don't think, I don't hear folks in the financial entertainment press talking about it this much, the fact that the U.S. dollar has been coming down in value from its nosebleed level from last year. So for these multinational companies, they're getting a lot more favorable um 
currency conversions on the dollars that they're earning in those foreign currencies outside the United States. And so that's also going to help with their earnings moving forward because the U.S. dollar isn't as strong as it was in 2022. So that's something else. So we could be seeing the March, we could be seeing the June quarter reports from Apple being much better. But again, this is going to have a little bit more reliance on China continuing to move away from their zero COVID policy, getting the factories back up and running. Because I heard one analyst really make a very strong point. There is no alternative to an iPhone. There really isn't from a product standpoint when it comes to a smartphone. I mean, I know that people that have Google or or uh, Android-based phones, they're kind of very loyal to it. But as far as Apple, they don't really have a true competitor, I feel, in that space. Well, you know, it's kind of funny when you send a group text out to everybody with an iPhone, they get it. You can't group text of people with an Android. I'm on several uh, text barbecuing groups, and like, okay, I got to yeah. remind myself to text the people that have the Androids in a separate text. So you know? when you so when you look at something like Google or you look at at a stock like Apple, yeah, they definitely didn't knock the cover off the ball. But when you can go out and pick up Apple 14% off its 52-week high, pays a little bit of a dividend, or you look at somebody like uh, Google, um, let me just pull them up real quick. You look at someone like uh, Google, who's 30.9% off a 52-week high, Google's not going out of business. Well, Google... You know, neither is Apple. Neither is Apple. Google, from an AI standpoint... The market likes what they're doing from an AI standpoint. Look at what Microsoft's done with that, and the market likes that. They like what they're doing in the future, and AI is going to have a bigger and bigger part in what we're doing and, and, and from a day-to-day standpoint with our lives. And I think that's what the market kind of wanted to hear from a, from a Google standpoint with their earnings. But that's but- – but I mean, call. but I mean, there was definitely some some other technology companies this past week that had very high price earning multiples that had better earnings results, and you could see these huge, these huge short covering rallies. Whether it was Align Technologies, Meta, I mean, Facebook. we saw, yeah, we saw Bookface, which is the way Jeff likes to describe it. Huge short covering rallies, um, and companies like Meta, which we don't own, but. Here's the thing about how much the market's gone up, and I've said this before, and I'll repeat myself again. How much of this rally is people buying for the long term or people that were caught on the wrong side of the trade? Because there's nothing that tells you that the 14.7% up in the NASDAQ year to date, that half of that is shorts covering, who got whacked when Meta's numbers came out or Align Technologies numbers came out, or any of the other. I mean, there's some of these. In, in, out, look and see how much companies like uh, Carvana has tripled this year. The car company was almost out of business. So you know, people I consider that a mean stock. stock. To your point, to your that's point, I was talking to stock. my buddy that's a home gamer, if you will, and he was down. I won't say he was down for the year, but he was down. Well, what do you think happened with his short positions, you know? I mean, to your case in point, they're having to cover their short positions. So, but, and so but when you cover short, you have to buy, and that mm-hmm. the market doesn't differentiate between someone putting money into the market that was out of the market, out of cash, or someone that has to cover 
their stock that they were short on. And clearly, I mean, did did Facebook's outlook for the future improve by 30% in two trading days? Well, $40 billion stock buyback, and they're talking about cutting costs. You know, cutting costs being well, more. Okay. Every company needs to do a 40, yeah, every company needs to do a $40 billion stock dollar stock buyback, so they can be up 30% in two days. Well, a lot of it, that, there were a lot of people that were short that stock. Uh, uh, right. But if you look at Facebook, there were a lot of analysts that liked to see that Zuckerberg had come, had got come religion and started running a senses. company like yeah. a regular company. And not did you, the, did, did you hear them take his take his interview and and mash together all the times he said efficiency? It was yes. hilarious. It must have been like twenty times. 60. <laughs> I don't know but, how many times. It was crazy. But, but, but getting but getting back to the market, and we were talking again about the S and P five hundred, the forty one hundred resistance level that we broke above and held above this past week. And I'm not saying that it's going to be going to its next line of resistance at 43.25 anytime soon, we could see the market move sideways. We could see the cha-cha, two steps forward, two steps back for an extended period of time because there really isn't any news or data that's going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks that could really be market moving, you know, give or take, you know, little sound bites here or there. And so we, the market could be churning sideways for a period of time, but at a much higher level at a much higher level until it kind of takes its pause. You know, as you say, you don't want to see the market go parabolic. You can't climb Mount Everest in one day. You have to climb up, maybe say, you know what, I needed to take a break, come back down a little ways, set up base camp, rest up for a while before I start making my next move higher onto the mountain. And that's the same way we could see this market doing a cha-cha, two steps forward, two steps back for a period of time, but at a higher level. And in the meantime, like you were saying, Jeff, we've got the 50-day and 200-day moving average of the S&P sitting on top of each other. We start getting some moves higher in the S&P, we're going to have the 50-day cross the 200-day, and that is called a golden cross. And so we have not had a golden cross for an extended period of time. Um, and yeah, so, last time we had a, a golden cross, Kyle, interest rates were zero. Yeah, I understand that, Jeff. But remember, the stock market can go up. The stock market can go up in a higher interest rate environment. Let me remind everybody that the S and P and the Dow hit all times high, all time highs on October 9th of '07, when the ten-year Treasury was at 4.65 percent. So you, you you make it, you almost make it seem like Jeff that the market can't go up unless interest rates are zero, but. But uh, yes, it's more bond, than just that. It's okay, more than just that. Bonds are a competitor to stock now. Right. That's, they used that's, to not be that's that the way. Key. That's the but, key. But 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 when we're still looking at inflation that's well above three percent, well above four, well above five percent, a five percent bond portfolio, it you're still losing purchasing power at the end of the day. You know, yeah, you're not taking the risk that you have in the stock market, but the silent killer. Monetary it, inflation, it, you are you are trading your purchasing power for preservation of capital. So okay, you but, have but to you, have a balance but, between but the you, two. But yeah, but you said you were going to have lower. We're going to have lower inflation in the future. So that that negative relationship between the two is not true. always going to be the case. That, that's Especially true. We're, we're going to have lower inflation in the months to come. So I, we're going to have a, there, there's going to be a positive relationship between bond yields and inflation. I see we're coming at the break. I'll carry this over to the next segment. All right. 
We are listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So, in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, you know, Jeff and I were just debating before we went to commercial break. Um, I was just trying to make the point that, yes, we're definitely, you know, bonds are finally providing some competition for stocks. Even though we are at a higher inflationary rates right now, we know inflation is going to be moving lower as time goes on this year and into next year. And we've talked about this on the program, how all the interest rate increases that the Fed has done beginning March of last year does create a silver lining. Granted, it was devastating for both the stock and bond market for 2022, but going into 2023 and beyond, and now that we're finally getting some income, you know, bonds can give you the safety, but now we're finally getting some decent income on the fixed income side and where a 60-40 portfolio, 60% stock, 40% fixed income is coming back into vogue and you can actually make a a very decent solid return and not taking as much exorbitant risks in the stock market um, because you have 40% of your portfolio and fixed income doing more heavy lifting, which, you know, since the financial crisis bonds have done less and less heavy lifting since 2008. Go ahead, Joe. One thing I wanted to add to that of the 60% that you're talking about stocks, you don't have to take as much risk, in my opinion, with this, the equity side of the portfolio, you can have more of a balanced approach, meaning in your sub-asset your asset classes, your sub-asset classes like large cap growth, large cap value, you know, you're not going to have to drive that number to get where you need to be. And, well, and, and I think that's where you have to take a balanced approach, even going to the second half of this year and going forward. I mean, well, it, it, and, and that's a good point to kind of expand on that. It's not just about balance between stocks and bonds. When you go to your stock side, okay, what is your balance there? You don't want to be a hundred percent all value. You don't want to be a hundred percent all growth. You want to have a nice balance. Now, the way we've designed our portfolios on the equity side is we're focused and really concentrated in core positions. Now, what a core position some people call it GARP, growth at a reasonable price, to where we have more moderate price-earning multiple stocks. A lot of them paid dividends. But we do have some higher growth, higher PE stocks in our portfolio. We have some lower growth, higher dividend-paying value stocks in our portfolio. So we, we have that nice balanced approach on the equity side. So just kind of like you were saying, Joe, you got to think of the word balanced, and it's not just between the major asset classes, stocks and bonds. You also have to have that balanced approach within each one of those major asset classes. And that's what we've done here at Davidson Capital. And we're continuing to follow our strategy as we've discussed on past shows where we scraped profits, brought all of our individual stock positions to a half of 1% in anticipation 
of their earnings, and then depending upon their earnings and how the market reacts to their earnings and forward guidance, we make the determination if we're going to take our first step out of two to take those to a higher allocation um, between the you know over the next couple of quarters. And so we continue to do that this past week. But at the end of the day, when we look at our moderate allocation portfolios, whether it's an asset builder or individual stock and bond asset allocation model, we're a 40-60 allocation currently, 40% stock, 60% fixed income and cash. And we're continuing to be patient. We're not trying to get carried away or Jeff, I know he loves you know using the term FOMO, fear of missing out. Because we have had such an exorbitant run over the last five trading weeks. Just be careful about not getting caught up in the euphoria. Because mm-hmm. you look at a chart going back for a year in the S&P 500, we've had these runs multiple times in the past. Uh, and every one of these runs has ended with a move to a lower low. Now, that doesn't mean that this one – can't be the, the the low we saw last September was the low. Uh, actually, it was October. I I'm not in the camp yet to say to definitively say that was that that was the low for for this cycle and the bear market the bull market began uh, last October. I'm just not in that camp yet. I've I've got too much. Don't fight the Fed beat into me over 30 years and the Fed has <laughs> not done. And I know what they said two days ago. Does it mean that they're not going to change their story in the next meeting? Does it mean the next two CPI or PPI numbers that come out between now and their next meeting aren't hotter than expected and the euphoria flips back the other way? That's what you have to be careful of in here, that the, that the, the narrative just flips back again. The narrative, right, that since the beginning of the year, the, the, narr- the, 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 the narrative has flipped back to expectations that, no, that the people that actually are making the decisions, meaning the Fed, are not saying anything about. They're not saying anything about cutting rates at the end of the year. They're not saying anything about that whatsoever. But to me, I think the market is, is you know, especially on the bond side too, which we haven't really said that much, you know, here. Um, you know, yields, you know, yields are down for the year. <clears throat> And the invert, you know, we still have an inverted yield curve, which is indicative of what? A recession. recession. You know, we still have that statistic with, with the leading economic indicators uh, that, that points to a recession. None of us know how deep that recession is going to be. None of us know if we're actually in one right now, though it appears that we're not necessarily in one right now. Um, so it, it's, it's like Kyle said, we are being very disciplined uh, very conservative about redeploying uh, the the money, you know, getting our asset allocations closer and closer to uh, that maximum. I don't think we're going to get to maximum stock allocations this year. That's that's my expectation. I think it's probably sometime in 2024. Uh, but I do think that we will get our bond portion of the portfolio closer to fully invested here in the very short term. If we believe that that interest rates are are going to be peaking out here in the next three four months, and and that may be and that that may be happening right now, and so that's that's one of the things that we've got going on in the background is we're making plans 
uh, to start buying corporate bonds again for the first time since the late summer, early fall of 2021. That was the last time we bought any corporate bonds. So for to, to kind of wrap up this segment, continue to be patient, dollar cost average in, move very slowly, very methodically, have your buy list, don't do it all in one fail swoop. You just again, dollar cost average those assets in, be patient. We got a lot of year still left ahead of us. But with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour break. So we're going to take the break, go into the news. And when we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. You MoneyWise guys, we'll be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. And you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, as we like to do in most of the second hours... Uh, of every weekend's Money Wise program is going to investor education. And there was a great quiz that came out in the Wall Street Journal that I, I think it's fantastic for investor education. I think it's a, it's a great way to really get all of our listeners to be thinking about their retirement if they're planning. And, and of course, everyone's working towards retirement or is possibly currently in retirement. And so, Jeff, I know you and I wanted to focus a lot of this second hour um, going into this quiz because I think it's just chocked full of a lot of great information. And, you know, as we get started, you know, what what if before you retired you had to pass a test first, kind of like a driver's test, you know, something that gauges how much you know about savings targets, medical bills, estate planning, and a few other fundamental issues, because I guess it's kind of like getting your high school diploma. Maybe we call this this is the way you get your retirement diploma. Is you have to you have to get at least a passing grade. And we'll I guess we'll, we'll go with seventy five percent. Seventy five percent is passing grade on this quiz. So I think we just kick it off with question number one. Now, research by Fidelity Investments recommends that workers should aim to save what multiple of their ending annual salary at age sixty seven in order to meet basic income needs in retirement. Now, this question has been – we've heard so many different 
Is it four times? Is it five times? Is it ten times? Now, in this quiz, we have four potential answers to that question. A is four times salary. B is six times the salary. C is eight times the salary. Or D, ten times your annual salary at age 67 in order to meet basic income needs in retirement. And the answer to that question is answer C, eight times your current salary. Now, the math is based in part on a worker beginning to save at age 25 and living to 92 years old. So a household with an annual income of $100,000 will need a minimum of $800,000 to meet basic income needs in retirement. But there is a big but here. There's always a catch. (laughs) This is the catch. This is a conservative estimate according to the National Institute on Retirement Security. By contrast, though, Aon Hewitt, which is a human resource consulting firm, estimated that 11 times salary is needed at age 65. So in that same example, you would need $1.1 million in order to meet your basic income needs if you were to retire at age 67. These numbers to me, I I must say, and I know you guys deal with it more on a day-to-day basis, but these numbers are pretty absurdly large, honestly. $800,000. Well, think about $800,000. Now, remember, when when we started working, and I'm from this group, we thought you were doing well if you made $10,000 a year back in the late 60s. It's called inflation, Papa Son. I I know that, but, but, but when you see this number... Uh, $800,000, I, I don't know what the percentage would be of people that actually would have saved this for my generation, but it's got to be a lot smaller than what these numbers show in the survey. And so I guess what I'm saying is I wish sometimes we wouldn't throw a number out quite that you I mean, that's just a absurdly intimidating number. Well, remember, the part of this quiz is to set goals for oneself, and that's and that's one of the biggest problems that Americans face and pre-retirees face in this day and age is paying themselves first and preparing for retirement. That's why quizzes like this, that's why we do these educational hours on the Money Wise program like we do, is to get people to start thinking in terms of their retirement, and have I saved enough? Am I doing enough towards my retirement? Uh, and if I'm not, I need to really get on the ball. But don't think that if you're age 55 and you've saved very, very little, that your retirement's completely shot. I mean, again, you have to get on it. I'm going to have to somewhat agree with Dad, and I'm going to just throw out a couple of examples. Our grandparents... Our grandparents didn't have eight hundred thousand dollars when they retired, and they they lived. actually actually my 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 grandfather probably did have well, eight hundred thousand. But but, I, but I'm retired. thinking about your parents yes. and no, mom no. and mom's no. parents. I'm, no, th- no, I'm, no, I'm no, talking about true. here in the last twenty five years. Yes, yes. No, that's true. And they had a, and they had a great retirement. I think what what I, what Dad and I are kind of maybe headed in the direction here, Kyle is. I, when, I think when, this number no, 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 scares no, no, people. Well, I, and it does. It is a scary number. It, it but, is used to scare people to get them to think about. But, their but retirement. we've also we've also seen a, a movement from the fin, the legacy distribution system, the financial legacy distribution system, to say that investors should use a maximum withdrawal rate of what only four percent per year. And we think that that's awfully low. And we think the reason they set it at four percent is one. 
so that they could continue to collect their high fees and expenses, and two, to keep the bar as low as possible to keep as much money on their on their in their care and control, if you will, so they could keep their high fees and expenses. And maybe this is another way of saying, okay, we can keep we get people to save more money by putting this kind of information out so that we can, again, collect more fees and expenses from folks. Okay. So question number two. A popular rule of thumb states that retirees will need 70 to 80% of their pre-retirement income in later life. Some of the best research into replacement ratios by Aon Hewitt and Georgia State University have found that a good benchmark is... A, 65%, B, 75%, C, 85%, or D, 95%. Now, the answer is C, 85%. This is one case where the rule of thumb isn't far off the mark. In its own study of replacement ratios, the Social Security Administration has noted that households typically need less income later in life because income taxes are lower, People no longer need to save for retirement, and work-related expenses are reduced or completely eliminated. That said, the best way to identify one's replacement ratio is to draw up a detailed budget for later life, unfortunately. Well, with that, we're going to take another commercial break. When we come back, we'll be continuing this quiz. Think you're ready to retire? And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or receive a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And all emails can be sent to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to the last commercial break, I was on uh, question number two of the quiz, kind of what is the rule of thumb of how much income you need to replace in retirement, and the answer was uh, 85% of your current income would need to be replaced in retirement. Dad, I know that uh, there was something you wanted to add to that figure. Well, well, again, I think this number is too high. I think it's a scary number. And, I, you know, when they throw out these big numbers like this, I don't know that this motivates people. It's almost like people throw their hands up. Because you think it's too overwhelming? It's just too overwhelming. Now, this would be different if this if we did a quiz for 28-year-old people after they've been out in the world I mean, this no, is, I agree. This, this is who should be taking the quiz. So, in high school, maybe, and you know, in a high school finance class, which unfortunately they don't teach in high school anymore, uh, you know, personal finance class, or teach it freshman finance basics one hundred and one should be a prerequisite course that you have to take as part of your general studies in your first two years in college. Right. This would be right. a great quiz. Well, to let's take. flash back. I'm in the you know I'm right in front of the baby boomers. So when I get into the corporate world there in the late 60s and get into it heavy in the 70s, we have a pension plan. I'm not contributing to this pension plan. The old defined benefit plan. And, and I'm going to have this pension plan at age 65. You know, and every year I get a statement showing me what it is. But the problem was every two or three years I'm changing jobs. And so I end up with no retirement until we finally come out with a 401K. And so now we do have a situation where young people can carry this 401K with them 
wherever they go. Wherever they go. And but, so, but they have to participate. But they have to participate. And so what I'm saying is some of this throwing out these big numbers, I, I fear that most of the people, the baby boomers, are the first 10 years of the baby boomers, they're done. They were in these same plans. They didn't start their 401ks until the 80s. There's no way in the world they've got these kind of numbers. They just aren't going to have these kind of numbers. Not, not the majority of the people. It's almost as if these first two questions are assuming that the retirees are have kids that are still teenagers and haven't gone to college yet, and they just bought their house two years before, and they have a 28 years left on their mortgage, and they got two brand-new cars yeah. in, in the garage. You know, in the real world, most of the most of the people who had, when they retire, their kids are out of college. Their house is probably paid off or nearly paid off, and they have two cars in the garage that are paid for. And the reason I say is because we see these folks every day, mm-hmm. and and they don't. And the, the typical retiree or person that's getting ready to retire comes to us and says, "Oh, my house is paid off. My cars are paid off. My kids are out of school. No credit card my, debt, and no credit card debt." And, 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 and they and they've prepared properly. They they took the proper steps of paying themselves first. But usually, Dad, they, these folks that we see have the combination of the traditional pension, like you're talking both. about, and the four hundred one k. Now, you know, and what's typical is that the pension's usually about half of their retirement savings, and then the four hundred one k is the second part. So is of it, their retirement savings. is is it bad to to want to overshoot to have no, a million dollars retirement? No, no. is is it bad to want to have seventy or eighty percent of your current uh, income in retirement going up twenty years? No, that's why not why not overestimate and shoot for the stars because if you come up a little bit short, you'll still be most likely okay. But but with all this said, again, if you are in your 50s, early 50s, mid 50s, and you haven't saved that much, we're not telling you to stop saving for no, retirement. No, no. We're saying that you need to hit the pedal to the metal and save as much as you possibly can. But also, like Jeff was saying, focus on your consumer debts. Fo- you know, focus on you know reducing loans, expenses. Reducing expenses because see that's another key to having a more comfortable retirement is by lowering your overhead. And the lower your overhead and the more money you've saved and the cheaper your cost of living is, the further your money is going to last. And one other thing that was in here that I hear you talk about all the time to people thinking about retirement is getting this budget, sitting down Mm -hmm. with your spouse or your significant other and setting these budgets out and seeing really what are you going to need. Mm-hmm. And, and again, nobody really knows what they're going to need 15 years from now. But I always say take like the last six, maybe eight months and average it and just see what you're spending. But I think also it's an exercise of opening your eyes up to how much you actually are spending. Because I think, Dad, some folks don't really pay that much attention. You know, I can tell you I budget with, with my wife like a maniac. I am a budget maniac, and I'm constantly on top of what my free cash flow is, what money's coming in and out of the door, keeping track of all of that to the penny. And I've been, and I've been uh, you know, blessed to have a wife that does it exactly the way that I do it. And so it makes our, our house a very happy home because we never have to argue about budgets or money ever, which is nice. So question number three. Question number three. Jeff. What percentage of surveyed workers aged 55 and above said they or their spouse have tried to calculate how much they will need to save to live comfortably in retirement? A, 34%, B, 44%, C, 54%, or D, 64%. 
And the correct answer is C. Only about half of workers approaching retirement have done a savings needs calculation, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. One encouraging development is that that figure from January of the beginning of the year is up forty-two. It was up from forty-two percent in two thousand and three. So, the good news is is that more people are taking the bull by the horns, if you will, mm-hmm. and sitting down and and doing this save this this uh, savings need calculation. Well, I just think that again, this is something that everyone can do. And I hope that we're part of getting that number up. Absolutely. And, and as we've said on this show, previous shows, as many years as we've been doing it, is there's a ton of free calculators online, a ton for you to be able to project you know, what potential retirement income you need. Am I saving enough right now based on what I've currently saved and what expenses I have? Utilize the Internet for all of these free calculators. I found a website, I wish I had it written down, that has a gazillion free calculators and you can spend all day having fun with calculations and the computer program does everything for you and it's free of charge I also one other thing i didn't say i think the 92 is really a ridiculously high number as far as living yes i i, I don't if think you that... look at the actuarial charts though dad right now someone age 65 they have a better than 50 percent chance to live well into their 80s yeah that, uh, with modern advances in medicine so uh, you can disagree with it, but I the totally disagree. Are there. I think that I mean there is very few people are going to live to be ninety two. Very very few. I would disagree with you on that, but <laughs> that's what makes this show so fun. So question number four: Among workers age fifty five plus, what percentage think they need to save quarter of a million dollars or more for retirement, and what percentage have already saved that amount or more? And the answer is 54%, about half of the 55-plus demographic, thinks a nest egg of at least 250000 not including the value of their home or any pension, is needed later in life, according to the Employee Benefit Research Institute. But unfortunately, fewer than one in four, or less than 25%, have reached that goal. More sobering still is 36% of this age group report having saved less than $10,000. So here's where I'm coming from. We throw out a number of 800000 in question number one. We come back here on question number four, and we're saying... But that's 800000 based on a $100,000 household income, Dad. So if you uh, make okay, $50,000, it's $400,000. But what I'm saying here is we, we can't even get more than one in four people to have $250,000. I know. That's why we're doing this survey, to no. really get people to start thinking. And it's kind of a, not, I don't want to say scare tactic, but it kind of is to, to, to wake people up that maybe are not on that savings bandwagon. Well, see, and, and debt reduction bandwagon. A quarter of a million dollars sounds like a lot of money until you think you're going to live 18 years plus plus past the age of 65 all of a sudden you put 20 years into two hundred fifty thousand dollars. that's not that's, a lot of money that's about twelve thousand five hundred a year yeah. that's not that's you're not going to be on it's a grand needs. a month yeah that's not going to get you anywhere so that's why that's why when we're talking these numbers this is the more sobering number to me i mean see the 800 number just goes over my head what I want to focus on and what our listeners will focus on is a lot of people think $250,000 is a lot of money for retirement. It's not. 
Not if you live 15, 20 years in it retirement. It is not. And yet, it is a quarter million dollars, which ain't hay. No, so, no, it's not. And so you've got to think in terms of the budget. You've got to think in terms of your how many years you're, you think you're going to live. You've got to watch your actuarials and see where they are. And you have to plan accordingly. You think people are going to live to be in their 90s. No, 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 no. They're statistically, I mean, these are I'm statistics just, I'm spouting. I'm just saying 250 is woefully short if you're living to be 92. No, that that's that's absolutely true. And only one in four have got that number. That's well, no, and, and what's what's even worse though? This is 36 percent of of age 55 plus. 36 percent of this group have reported to have saved less than ten thousand dollars. Now that. That is a sobering statistic. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour, so we're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back, we'll be continuing. So you think you're ready to retire quiz, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're continuing the quiz that came out of the Wall Street Journal, Think You're Ready to Retire?, that's the title of the uh, of the article in the quiz, and we've gotten to question number five. Now, question number five is: What is the average age at which current retirees say they actually retired, and what is the expected retirement age of current workers? Now, the answer, according to the Gallup poll published in May, found that the average retiree stopped working at age 61, and that's up from 57 in 1993, and the average worker currently expects to retire at age 66, up from age 60 in 1995. Giving your nest egg a boost isn't the only benefit from delaying retirement. Gallup also found that individuals age 60 to 69 who work have slightly better emotional health than those who don't work. I think since 2008, I have been making the statement that I thought that the re- one of the reasons why uh, unemployment, the unemployment rate seems to be staying at a higher level than it might, might have been in uh, recoveries past, if you will, is because of this, is because of the average worker working longer. I like the way that you put it, like a domino effect. That yeah, last yeah. domino hasn't fallen I, I, I off. I think he's right on it. I think he's because, right on it. Because if we've, got, if we've got 36% of the 55-plus age demographic that have saved less than $10,000 for retirement, how can they actually retire? The answer is that they can't. Unless they can live strictly off of Social Social Security. Security. Well, and you can't start taking Social Security. You're 62, and you're saying the number right now is 61. And for for me, it's 65. Well, what I, I mean, what what was what was amazing though, I think, in this last question though, is that the average age of current retirees. They stopped at 61. They Which retired at they 61 retired before they before could get, they could get, get Social, Social Security. Security. And now and now workers are currently thinking about 
age 66. I mean, I which think it would be after the majority of them start being able to collect. And, and here's something else that's interesting about this statistic. Remember now that the people that are in and around my age didn't get a 401k until the 80s. So they worked 10, 12, 14 years before a 401k even existed. That's true. And, and, and really, the IRAs had not been around that long. And so mm-hmm. what you're seeing here is that the people who have actually retired are those few people that stayed with a corporation, did not job switch, and the corporation exists. You know, in my case, almost every, you know, corporation I work for is no longer in business. And their pensions had to get turned over to the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, and those folks have enough unfunded liabilities to handle strictly from the airline industry alone. So I find it interesting that that my age group that's retired, they said that they retired at age 61. So that tells me that they were a government worker, they were in the military, uh, they, they had some type of public service, or they were fortunate enough to have worked for a corporation that stayed in business, and they didn't job switch. Number six, what percentage of surveyed workers say they plan to continue working for pay in later life, and what percentage of current retirees say they have worked for pay? Now, the answer to that is it's among the biggest disconnects in retirement planning. The large number of current workers who anticipate earning a paycheck in later life and the relatively small percentage of retirees who actually have done so, 69% plan to work later, uh, plan to work in retirement, while 25% have worked for, uh, say they have worked for pay in, in retirement. So, I mean, that when 69% are planning to work in retirement, but in actuality only 25% do. So if you think, well, I haven't done a great job saving for my retirement. When I finally retire, I'll go get a part-time side job and, and earn money that way. Well, this this survey has found out that a lot of people plan to do that, but very few actually go out and do it. Number seven, what percentage of U.S. households are at risk of not having enough savings to maintain their living standards in retirement? Now, A, 33%, B, 43%. C, 53%, or D, 63%. Now, the answer is C, 53%. And that figure has climbed nine percentage points between 2007 and 2010, according to the National Retirement Risk Index. Now, among the reasons for the increase are the bursting of the housing bubble, falling interest rates, and the gradual increase in Social Security's full retirement age. And the approved, if painful, solution for reducing that risk is save more, Reduce expenses. So we're just talking about and hang on to your current job for as long as possible. But see, this number is too low. We just said only one in four is saving two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So then how? No, 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 no. no. Yeah, yeah. One in four. So how could only fifty three? How is it that fifty three percent have enough savings? That can't be. The number should be 26, 25. This number is not consistent with the other number. Well, you're going to have to call the National no, Retirement no. Risk Index what at the I, Center what, for what Retirement saying. Research and tell them that. But what I'm saying, these are two separate studies. This is not done by the same people. And what I'm saying here is when you start looking at these different studies. Everyone has different answers. they got different numbers. And what we see, because we are on the front lines, what we're seeing is that we're seeing 
the few. We're seeing that one in four that has saved, mm-hmm. that has got this money. But you've got this other group that are relying on Social Security, and we can't even get our politicians to discuss fixing it. That's right. When, and there's enough. Uh, and, and, and now we're, we're going to get the politics. Now we're embarked on the greatest adventure any of us has seen since Medicare in the 60s, and that's now the Affordable Care Act, which it could be the biggest misnamed act in the history of this country. You mean it should be called the Unaffordable, Unaffordable Care Act? Health Act. I mean, we don't know. <laughs> and so we're on this. We're right on the cusp of this new horizon, which is the most important thing for seniors. Now, they tell us as seniors that our Medicare is, is going to stay the same. Well, excuse me if all of a sudden I'm not concerned because I heard the president say, if you want to keep your health care, you can. And now we've learned this week that's not true. Only if your plan was in existence prior to the 2010 deadline. So moving on to question number eight. If you retire at age 65, what percentage of your life can you expect to live in retirement? And, Dad, you kind of alluded to this yeah, a this, few segments ago. Yeah. Let me get to the answer. Hold hold your horses there. <laughs> hold my water. 14%, B, 17%, C, 20%, or D, 23%. And the answer is D, 23%. The average life expectancy for a 65-year-old is 19.1 years, which means the average American will spend close to one quarter of his or her life in retirement. Again, the key as to why you have to save for retirement. And remember, we now have that giant rat that's gone through the snake that's coming out with the baby boomers that has skewed all of the numbers all my life in every day. How many more are retiring? And we're getting ready to change health care for everyone in the country. You lost me with the rat through no, the I'm snake. Just, I'm <laughs> saying baby boomers was this giant group of population okay. uh-huh. that skewed schooling. Then it skewed housing. And it's going to skew Social Security benefits and whatnot. It's going to skew entitlements. And what are we doing at the one time we shouldn't be fooling with this? We've just got ourselves into the health care situation. And so what I'm saying is that while these guys are up there screwing around with the budget ceilings and everything else, as we talked about on show number one back in November 2005, Entitlement tsunami wave continues to approach the Poseidon. Okay, so question number nine. A 65-year-old couple retires this year in 2013. How much money will they need to cover medical expenses throughout their retirement? A, $100,000, B, $140,000, C, $180,000, or D, $220,000? Now, this number will probably shock some of our listeners. The answer is D. The figure from Fidelity Investments is actually down 8% from projections in 2012. So you'll need $220,000 to cover medical expenses throughout your retirement. Now, the re- but the remaining significantly larger than most. Now, this number is is significantly larger than most than most consumers estimate. And a Fidelity poll of pre-retirees age 55 to 64 found that nearly 48 percent believe that they will only need fifty thousand dollars to pay health care costs in retirement. What's also problematic is that the estimated $220,000 doesn't include the possible cost of over-the-counter 
medication, most dental services, and long-term care. See, to me, this is the largest threat to the baby boomers, and they don't even understand Medical it. costs. Medical costs. Health care. And you guys, from time to time, kind of wade into you know what I and your mother have dealt with here for a few years, and that is the cost, current cost of <clears throat> medical care, like a visit to a emergency room, and what that can cost two hundred thousand dollars, two hundred twenty thousand uh, dollars. That number is too low. Whatever that number is, I'd believe eight hundred thousand before I'd believe two hundred thousand. <laughs> because the truth is, we don't know what that number is. Well, and we know that medical costs are spiraling way out of control, and the government is doing nothing to get control of them. With that, we're going to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you could reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in our last segment of this weekend's uh, Money Wise program, want to wrap up. So you think you're ready to retire quiz from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, getting to question 10, what percentage of participants in defined contribution savings plans, that includes 401ks, contribute the maximum amount allowed each year? A, 5%, B, 15%, C, 25%, or D, 35%. Now, this might be shocking. This the, is easy. Yeah, it actually might not be shocking, I should say. The answer is A, 5%. Only 1 in 20 savings plan participants contribute the maximum amount allowed annually, which is currently $17,500, according to a survey by the Government Accountability Office. A Vanguard study published in June found that only 11% of participants in Vanguard-administered plans saved the maximum in 2012, and only 15% of those eligible took advantage of the catch-up contribution provision, which is an additional $5,500 you can save on top of $17,500 for anyone over the age of 50. So, I mean, num- that's, that's, that's shockingly been, you know, low. Well, well, we have been on we have been on for a long time talking about low, participa- low participation rates in 401ks. So you compound been, low participation with low contribution well, on lo- top lo- of that. Yeah, and you, when you add those two together... Then you're. Then it's very easy to see how someone, how we have, what was it, thirty some odd, thirty six percent of fifty five uh, folks over fifty five years of age having reported saving less than ten thousand dollars. That's right. So if you have a four hundred one k plan available to you as an employee, participate. Question number eleven of the quiz. A household age 65 is living on one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year, and out three percent inflation. How much money would that household need at age 75 and at age 85? And I could answer that okay, question, Jeff. At age 75 with 3% inflation, 
you would need $161,000. And at age 85, you would need $217,000. And this is a topic that we've talked about on this show time and time again, how many investors are not paying attention to monetary inflation, why they're continuing to accept extremely low returns, in this low interest rate environment by having high allocations to fixed income on their portfolios that that's right and that inflation is eroding purchasing power let me put it in a simpler way $5000 grocery bill today would cost over $9000 in 20 years and i used to use also that car example what your 67 fastback cost Versus what the average cost uh, of a car. $3,600. Yeah, what is the average cost of a Mustang today? Well over $30,000. That's inflation. Uh, question number 12. What percentage of households age 65 through 74 carry housing debt and credit card debt? The answer is 41% carry housing debt and 32% carry credit card debt. Now, this housing figure is from 2010 and is up from 25% in 1992, says the Employee Benefit Research Institute, and the credit card figure is unchanged over that period. The median value of mortgage debt for a household age 65 to 74 in 2010 was $70,000, according to AARP, and that is up from $15,400 in 1989. Question number 13 from the quiz. What percentage of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor who is paid through either fees or commission? Now, the, the four options we have are A, 13%, B, 23%, C, 33%, or D, 43%. Now, the answer is B. Only 23% of workers have obtained investment advice from a professional financial advisor. And of those, 41% said they followed most of the advice. About a quarter said they followed all of it. The other quarter said they followed some of it. And if you're not just looking to get advice and actually looking to get professional management, the one thing that we always try to teach on the Money Wise program is that if you do not want to be making the day-to-day investment decisions on your retirement nesting, you need to find a competent and experienced registered investment advisor that's completely fee-based, that will be able to take that discretionary control, that will be sitting on that wall to be making the day-to-day decisions with your retirement nest egg. So to summarize from this entire quiz, um, it's a lot of great information. Uh, Hopefully it's information that is a wake-up call for some people. Uh, If you're a a younger, longer, if you're a younger listener to the Money Wise program, hopefully this provided you some education and maybe motivated you to get on the ball to, as we've always said on this program, to pay yourself first. But if you're in your 50s, and you're part of that 36% that have saved less than $10,000, don't think that you're completely hopeless to retire. You have time. You have to start saving. You have to start investing. Retirement saving is not a race. It's a marathon. That's right. And those who have a lot more time to run that marathon are going to be the ones that that are, I think, in, in the end, are going to have a much better retirement and and be much more comfortable. Now that's not to say for those for those of us that are list that are listening to our show that might be in that thirty six percent that have saved less than ten thousand dollars. It's never too late to get started. 
It's never too late to get motivated. It's never too late to train for for that marathon. I, I, I like is time, that. Is time, is time on your side? Well, you know, you, you've time is what it is. It is what it is, as they say. But that doesn't mean you should just give up, sit on your hands, and, and not at least make the effort to participate in that 401k that you have at, have at work and increase your contributions. Or if you've been to a many, like we, we continue to see many investors that have been sitting on the sidelines when it comes to not having, participating, not participating in, the, in the stock side of the market, not having some of their portfolio invested in stocks, still sitting in cash, still sitting in high allocations to fixed income. It's never too late to, to start to make a change. And, and, you know, retirement planning would be extremely easy if all of us were given a piece of paper the day we were born that said the day that we were going to be leaving this earth. Retirement planning would be very, very easy. Unfortunately, none of us know when our last day on this earth is going to be. And so the best thing to do is to be prepared and to plan. That's absolutely the key, and pay yourself first, and constantly be thinking about that prize, kind of like Jeff said, that marathon. There's a finish line at the end of that marathon. It's a long race, but you will eventually get to that finish line, and so you have to prepare and plan and for so it. And so if you're not sure where you're at in your marathon, if you think you need to be saving more, if you're not if you're not sure what you own in, 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 in retirement, if you want to get a... a, a and look at your retirement plan and see if am I invested in the right securities? You know, give give us a call at Davidson Capital Management. We'll be happy to do a free portfolio review and analysis. Okay. And you can reach us at nine zero six zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father John and my brother Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health. We will talk to you next week.